Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Hey, Lake Point family, welcome to Lake Point Easter Online. Man, if you're joining us, especially on Facebook, you can really help us by clicking the share button on this feed that helps us get word out to as many people as possible. So click that share button and help us spread the message of a risen Jesus to everybody we possibly can today. Well, hey, we're getting ready to go to worship together. So let's open our hearts and go to the throne. cross, lungs that heave for breath, for hope, attempt to inhale but start to choke. Jesus agreed to carry the weight, to bear the brunt of hate. He agreed to be love, to offer himself the embodiment of holy and human walking in flesh. Death came with the territory to bleed and grieve all of this to achieve reconciliation, salvation, eternal connection. Death was the conflict. The resolution was resurrection. Jesus breathed his last, taking on the guilt and shame from each of our filthy pasts, removing nails, thorny crown, mocking robe. They prepared him for grave clothes, but Jesus had already settled the score. They went searching for his grave, but his corpse was no more. Jesus carried all wrong, all sin, all disease. He planned this all along, thought of you, thought of me, and Satan couldn't tempt him. Death couldn't beat him. The grave couldn't hold him. Jesus did all this because he wanted us to know him. Jesus came to prove that God not only resurrects tombs, that God's arms are still open wide, inviting us all to surrender all, to let God resurrect our hearts, our souls, our souls. 
Amen. Church family, that is true. We are here to celebrate the resurrection of our King. And although we're not together here physically, we want to remind you that we're scattered across cities and homes. We are still the church. She is alive and well. So we invite you to worship as we sing today. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written oh jesus christ my living
It's hard to imagine darker days than those that were experienced by the early disciples on that Friday and Saturday before that first Easter. Everything that they depended upon, everything that they cared about was marked by disappointment and death. And then God stepped in and did what only God could do. He brought life and he brought light. And that's what we're celebrating this Easter. We're celebrating a God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A God who can start, step into our darkness. A God who can deal with our deep disappointments. A God who can even redeem death. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome, and we'd like to know that you were here. You can go to lakepoint.org slash connect card and just let us know that you attended this year's Easter service. And we want to send you some information that we think will be helpful to you. Also want to remind all of us that we're still meeting in groups because of the miracle of technology that God is using to keep us, even though we're physically distant, not socially distant. And so you can, if you don't have a group yet, you can text the word group to 20411. Also want to remind everyone that there's opportunities for you to have material content for your children, uh, preschool as well as grade school, and you can go to the Facebook page of our children's ministry to get that information. Now I want you all to join me in a word of prayer as we thank God for what he has done and what he shall do among his people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work that you have done in us. And we pray, dear Father, that you would continue to do a work through us. We thank you, dear Father, that no matter where we are today, no matter how dark it is or how deep our disappointment, that you can bring life even where there is death. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, guys, uh, let me just say happy Easter, and it's an incredible honor to be joining in with you in uh, living rooms, in, in patios, in kitchens, wherever you are. Uh, and what I want to say to you is, uh, especially for our Lake Point family, I want to celebrate something together. And what we know at Easter is that we haven't just received resurrection power, but that, that we get to pour out resurrection power to the world around us. And the Lake Point family, uh, I'm just incredibly proud to be able to announce to you that a few days ago, we crossed the half a million meals donated. That's right. Come on, let's celebrate that right now. Likes, comments, hearts, exclamation points right now on the feeds. And uh, that half a million meals or more have been donated um, that we are distributing to food insecure children and elderly people all throughout the city of Dallas. So I just want to say I am so proud of you and thank you, not just for receiving resurrection power, but being a conduit of it into the world. Well, listen, um, man, if you're new with us, I just want to take a chance just to say uh, welcome. It's an honor that you're here. My name is Josh. I'm the senior pastor of our, our church. And here's what I know on a, on a day like Easter. What I know is that all of you are probably watching really for different reasons joining in right now. Um, some of you, your, uh, your situation is uh, your one weird religious friend shared this feed on their, you know, their uh, social media channel. And, uh, and you had like some Easter guilt and you're like, ah, it's Easter, I guess, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, some of you guys, um, you got, uh, in your mind, unfortunately quarantined uh, with your mom or grandma. And so what you're doing right now is you're pretending that, of, of course, every year, every year, we, we never miss Easter. And, and, you know, honestly, it's an honor to join in with you. And then some of you guys, you know, you live in the Dallas area, and, and you join us at, uh, at Lake Point once or twice a year. And we see you then. And uh, for those of you who are in that spot, I just want to say your Bible is probably still here in the lost and found from Christmas. And you can come get it as soon as we're all back together, and, and that'd be awesome. So here's what I know. I know that everybody watching is probably watching for a different reason. But here's what I also know. I know that 
nobody watching is joining in with us on accident. Um, I believe every single person that this is like a divine moment and that God wants to do something in your life. Uh, and the Easter is not a story about something that happened one time. It can be the story of your life. And, And so here's what I've done in this message. Okay. I have planned this as if I got to sit down with you one-on-one and you gave me like one shot. You were like, Josh, you got one shot in 15, 20 minutes to explain to me what Christianity is, what it means to be a Christian, what the resurrection means. If you gave me one shot, this message is my best shot to explain what that means to you. Okay, now here's what I wanna do in order to kind of get us all thinking in the same direction. I wanna start with like a pop quiz, okay? So if you can just kind of relax and chill, And I actually want you to think about this pop quiz question. Okay, so check this out. I want you to imagine that this scale uh, is a scale from zero to 100. And and I want you to try to pick a number that represents how morally good you are. I know that's kind of a weird question. Now, so zero to 100, I want you to try to pick a number that represents how good you are. Now, quick hint. You're not a hundred. Okay, let me, let's just all start right there. Uh, Everybody, uh, everywhere, uh, everybody at one time, you may have told a lie or you may have taken something that didn't belong to you. Um, You may have, at some time in your life, you may have done something sexually that you really regret. Uh, Or uh, at some time in your life, you may have blown up on somebody that didn't deserve it. In fact, uh, let's be real honest. Here's the story of a lot of your Easter mornings. This morning, about 15 minutes ago, you woke up with your quarantined, now newly homeschooled children. And here's what Easter morning was like. 10 minutes ago, you you were saying, shut up, shut up. Will you just shut up and sit down? Because we are going to worship Jesus. Yeah. That's what you did this morning. And everybody's in that same spot. At some point in your life, you blew up on somebody that didn't deserve it. So here's what all of us know. If a 100 is the moral perfection of Jesus, the absolute moral perfection, here's what we know, is that nobody's 100. We're all on the same page. Now, here's what we also know. To be fair, you're not a zero either. (laughs) You know, I'd say zero, this is reserved for like ax murderers. This is Hitler. Uh, I think most diehard Philadelphia Eagles fans, they're down here, that kind of thing, right? So we know this is, is that you're not a zero either. Now, here's what I want you to do, okay? Think about this for a second. If 100 is absolute moral perfection, and let's say the greatest person who's ever lived morally, let's say that's Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, whoever you wanna say, if they're somewhere down here in this range, I want you right now to ask the question, where do I fit? Now, um, I've, I've just got a kind of a rule as a pastor. Um, I never wanna ask you to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. So this week I was thinking about this and, uh, and I called in the expert. Um, I actually, I called my wife, Jana. Okay. And I just, I asked Jana like, hey babe, zero to a hundred, where do I fit? Uh, let me just go ahead and get this out there. If anybody's offering free marital counseling during this time, <laughs> we're, you know, that kind of thing, we're available. Uh, I, I do want you to know, I didn't get quite, the grade that I thought that I would. In fact, my, my new life motto is these get degrees. That's my new life. That's my new life motto, you know, after that conversation. But, but really take a second right now. And right now, try to get a number in your head where you fit. And here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I'm going to ask everybody to post your number in the comment section of whatever feed you're on. Count of three, one, two. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to ask you to do it. But everybody, I do. I really want you to figure out where you fit. Now, here's what's so profound about this, this exercise. I really believe that this reveals a universal truth 
that leads to the most important universal question anyone will ever ask. And here's what I think this reveals. It reveals this universal truth that all of us fall short of God's standard for our lives. That no one anywhere measures up to a perfect 100. All of us fall short of God's standard for our lives. In fact, the Bible just says in a really straight way like this. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. You saw that, fallen short of the glory of God. Now listen, that leads me, I think that universal truth leads to the most important universal question anyone will ever ask. And here's that question. The universal question is, so how can I be made right with God? How can I be made right with God? Now, in preparation for this Easter message, what I did is uh, the, the uh, verse that I spent the whole week meditating on, it's Romans 4.25. And it just, it just says this, it says, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions, but was raised for our justification. <laughs> that, that's what it says. Now, that verse answers that question. How can I be made right with God with some really big language? So let me just make this like really applicable and, br- and bring it down to earth for a second. So. Uh, years ago, I, I've got a grandma that uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, my grandmother's gone on to be with the, with the Lord, uh, but they live in upstate New York and they've lived on the same farm, the same farm since my grandfather was born. He lives on the same farm at age 89 that he was born on at age zero. And uh, every year, my family, we go up to their farm and we visit grandma and grandpa Hemingway until grandma Hemingway went to be with the Lord. Grandma Hemingway had a few, uh, we will call them eccentricities. Um, Usually every year when we went up uh, to the farm, at some point during the week, during a dinner, Grandma Hemingway, she might take off her shoe and she would prop her old, wrinkled, farmer's decrepit foot on top of that dinner table. And she would show us uh, this tiny little scar on the top of her left foot. And then she would tell us this story about how she got that scar. See, my, my grandfather, like I said, guy's been farming for 89 years. He's the kind of farmer who's got a toothpick in his mouth all the time. Well, apparently once upon a time, uh, Grandpa Hemingway was walking around their house and, and that little toothpick, it, it fell out of his mouth into their really thick, dark green 1970s shag carpet. And it just lodged there and it became a, a resting place for that toothpick. And then days and weeks, maybe even years went on by. And one night, uh, Grandma Hemingway, she was coming down from the upstairs of the farmhouse and she was walking down these creaky old stairs. And as she got to the bottom of the steps in in the night when it was dark, as she uh, stepped off the last step, her heel pressed down on that shag carpet. Apparently that made that little toothpick rise up at the exact wrong angle. And so Grandma Hemingway stepped off that last step and put the full weight of her body onto that toothpick. And when that happened, that toothpick, it slid right up uh, right up through the flesh of the bottom of her foot, right through the muscles in her foot, right in between those two bones and tendons in the middle of her foot, and then emerged on the other side, the bloody stump of that tiny toothpick on the other side of her foot. Okay, now listen, every time I tell that story, everyone's response is the same. It was their response, it was your response. There's a Now, isn't it interesting that when I tell the story of a toothpick piercing a foot, we cringe, but we can talk about Jesus being crucified for our sins without batting an eye. Uh, What I'm getting ready to say is admittedly brutal but uh, I don't believe that you can understand the love of God without understanding the death of God. So let me explain to you the death of God. 
Crucifixion was a, uh, it was a form of torture that was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. And the goal of crucifixion was to infi- inflict the greatest amount of pain for the longest amount of time while simultaneously humiliating and shaming the victim. Um, in fact, we've got a, a word in our English language um, for the greatest intensity of pain in English. We use the word excruciating. Uh, that word excruciating, it actually comes from two Latin words, ex cruciatus. What it literally means is of or from the cross. Crucifixion, it was so vile, it was so brutal, it was so disgusting that a dignified Roman culture, a dignified Roman person wouldn't even mention crucifixion in a public setting because it was so shameful. Now, what you gotta know about crucifixion is it wasn't just to inflict the maximum amount of pain, it was designed to inflict the maximum amount of shame simultaneously. Uh, You guys may remember uh, years ago when I was in college, um, the movie, The Passion of the Christ came out and people were shocked, uh, sometimes to the point of of tears and shaking, just seeing the brutality of crucifixion depicted for them on a movie screen. Here's what you gotta know. Uh, No movie theater anywhere could actually depict what crucifixion was truly like anywhere in the world. Um, When somebody was crucified, uh, there were, again, the goal was to shame them. And so they were stripped totally naked and crucified without any clothes whatsoever. Um, people were always crucified in very public places so that as many passers-by as possible could pass by and mock them. In fact, historians record the fact that when crucifixions happened, they often happened in major thoroughfares and cities. It would be like somebody in whatever city you live being crucified at the intersection of the two busiest streets in your town or somebody being crucified in the parking lot of a Walmart or a public mall. Historians record the fact that when somebody was crucified that lowlifes would gather around and they would begin to take bets on who would die first. They would mock you and make fun of you should you cry out. And they even record the fact that, that these lowlifes would gather and they would, they would make fun of the anatomical build of a man. Why? Because the goal of crucifixion was to shame and humiliate somebody to the maximum degree. Now, everybody knows this. The only goal of crucifixion, it wasn't humiliation. It was excruciation. It was pain as well. And so when somebody was crucified, what they would do is they would begin by whipping them with something that was called a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails was a, uh, it was a a whip that was made out of interwoven leather strips. And what they would do is, is they would take broken pieces of glass and pottery shards, and they would weave those broken pieces of glass into the cat of nine tails. And so before you were crucified, they would whip you with a cat of nine tails and those broken glass shards would embed themselves in the flesh of a man's back And when it was pulled off, it would literally rake the flesh off of a person's back, leaving the exposed nerve endings on the back of a person's rib cage. Now think about this. That's what happened. Immediately before they would place a roughshod wooden beam across your back that weighed somewhere between 100 and 200 pounds. And every step you took as you carried that wooden beam to the place where you would be crucified, the splinters and roughshod wood of the cross would rub right across the exposed nerve endings of the back of your rib cage. Whenever somebody was gonna be crucified, you know, we've heard before that what they would do is they would drive nails into somebody's hands and feet. Uh, what's interesting is the Greek words for hands and feet, they actually represent even down to the wrists and ankles. And the reason that those nails were driven into wrists and ankles was because those were places of, of nerve bunches, nerve endings in the human body. So the nails were intentionally driven into the places where the highest amount of pain would shoot through somebody's body upon insertion of those nails. Now, when you were on a cross, 
Uh, people didn't die on a cross of, uh, of, uh, of pain. They didn't, cro- cr- they didn't die of loss of blood. What they died of was asphyxiation. When you were fixed to a cross, what you would do is you were fixed in such a way that in order for you to gasp breath, to get oxygen into your lungs, the person who was being crucified would have to pull up on the nails that were going through those nerve endings, even to gasp a breath. And again, those nails were strategically placed to inflict the maximum possible amount of pain shooting through somebody's body. So with every breath that you pulled up, a shooting pain would sear throughout you. Now, um, the pain was so great that historians record the fact that many victims of, of crucifixion in early Rome, they actually began to intentionally break their own ankles or rip the nails through the flesh of their ankles so that they could no longer push up to get a breath into their lungs, thus ending their life as quickly as humanly possible. So what the Romans began to do is they began to fix a seat to the foot of the cross or a seat to a cross to keep men up there so that again, they could inflict the maximum amount of pain for the longest amount of time. And so what people began to do, historians tell us, is that some victims of crucifixion, they actually began to dislocate their own hips intentionally so that they could slide off of those seats and thus kill themselves as fast as they could. So around the time of Jesus, what the Romans began to do is they actually began to drive a nail through the genitals of a man to keep him on the cross for as long as possible. Now, you guys may remember there was one time uh, in the gospels where it says that when Jesus died, one of the Roman soldiers, he, um, he pierced the side of Jesus with a spear. And the Bible tells us that blood and water simultaneously came out. Now, medical professionals today actually know why that happens. I actually heard from a medical professional that said, he explained that whenever somebody was asphyxiated, when their body wasn't getting enough oxygen, that your internal tissues would begin to secrete water and that that water would form almost like a sack around your heart. And so he explained what he said was that when Jesus died, he literally died of cardiac rupture. And this is what he said. He said, hey, let me put that to you in layman's terms, Josh. Here's what he said. He said, when Jesus died, he literally died of a broken heart. This was done to God. Why? Man, um, years ago, I heard this story about uh, two hunters in Georgia. And uh, as these guys were hunting, they looked up in the distance and they started noticing that there was smoke rising in the distance. And they just, you know, they didn't think anything about it and just went on about their day. And so as they kind of went on about their day, you know, they, they look up later and they notice that smoke's a little closer and they take a mental note, but they don't really think about it. And then as the story goes, later in the day, they look back over their shoulder and they notice that that smoke has become really close and all of a sudden it dawns on them. That's the smoke rising from a forest fire and that forest fire is traveling towards them faster than they can travel towards their vehicle. And so as the story went, one of the guys freaked out and panicked, but the other guy, he just calmly reached down into his pack and he did something honestly uh, really counterintuitive. He pulled out a pack of matches and he bent down uh, to the ground in the field where they're in. Now, the other guy was like, hey man, what are you doing? And he said, hey, just, just a second. And he bent down and he was in the middle of a field, a large field of dry, dead grass. And he struck the match and he lit a fire of the dry, dead grass in the middle of the field. And then he just sort of stepped back. And those two men stepped back and that fire kindled and then it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew until there was a very large already burned over place. 
And whenever there was a very large, already burned over place, those two men, all they had to do was walk forward into the already burned over place. And when the fire came, the fire had already been satisfied in the already burned over place so that they did not have to experience the consequences of the fire as it came. Now listen, do you know why that horrific, torturous, humiliating death was inflicted upon the son of God? Here's why. Because the cross of Jesus Christ was the already burned over place. (laughs) When Jesus hung on the cross dying, full of shame, being mocked, mocked by people who deserved his death. What was happening is the punishment for your sins and my sins, the punishment for the sins of the world was being poured out on him so that now we, anyone who by faith is in Christ, anybody who by faith is connected to Jesus, what we do is we stand in the already burned over place and we do not have to experience the consequences for our sin before a holy and just God. In fact, let me just say to you like this. Do you guys remember this? You remember that Jesus' first words that he spoke from the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you may or may not remember this, but one of the gospels tells us that as soon as Jesus said that, there were Roman soldiers standing by and they hated, they were so angry that Jesus was asking God to forgive them that the Bible says they shoved a sponge in his mouth and that sponge was on a stick. Now, you may have never heard this before, but that sponge was almost certainly something called a tersorium. It was part of a soldier's field kit that soldiers used to wipe themselves after they went to the bathroom, to scrub themselves like toilet paper. So I want you to think about this. With the taste of a bowel movement on his lips, Jesus Christ cried out for you and for me to be forgiven. And then the son of God fulfilled his own prayer by dying on the cross and taking the punishment for our sins so that we would never have to. Now listen, that is why that was done to God. Now listen, you wanna know this, man? If you wanna know how big a deal sin is to God, look at the cross. But watch this. If you wanna know how big a deal you are to God, look at the cross. Listen, God is holy, and so payment for sin had to be made. But also watch this, God is love. So he made that payment himself so that he could adopt you into his family as a son or a daughter. And he could remove, he could remove everything that you've ever done. He was, the Bible says, delivered up for our transgressions, delivered up for everything that we've ever done wrong so that God could remove all those things and close that gap between him and us where we stand on that scale. Now listen, there's really good news here. What we know is that the death of Jesus was not the end of Jesus. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what he cried out is it is finished. You know what he didn't cry out? He didn't cry out, I am finished. And he didn't say I am finished because he wasn't finished. He was gonna be raised from the dead in three days and he was gonna be raised. Listen, he was crucified to remove everything bad from your past, but he was raised to supply everything good from God's glorious future into your life. Listen, what the resurrection means is that you don't have to do the things that you used to do because in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. God has infused a power, released a power into your life through the resurrection of Jesus. He's made that power available so that you don't have to live and walk in all the terrible things that your past has been defined by. You know, what that means is that all the terrible things that happen to us in this life and all the terrible things that we do in this life, if the resurrection is true, what it means is that none of those things get the final word in our life. Man, I wanna do a visual for you like this. I heard um, there's a guy I like to read, a guy named Frederick Buchner. 
Frederick, Frederick Buechner said about the resurrection, what he said is, if the resurrection's true, what that means is that the worst thing is never the last thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the worst thing, if the resurrection's true, the worst thing is never the last thing. So let me put it to you like this. I wanna show you visually, if the resurrection is true, here are a few things that don't get the final word in your life. All right, number one, guilt. If the resurrection is true, guilt does not have the last word in your life. Man, years ago, I was preaching a message uh, about how anyone that placed their faith in Christ, everything that they've ever done can be forgiven and then it can all be redeemed and used by God. And there was a man who listened to my message from prison and he wrote me uh, a message from prison. And what he said in that message is he said, Josh, you don't understand. Everything that you said in that message, not all that can be true for me because you don't know what I've done. And here was my response to him. What I said was, hey man, the problem is not that I don't know what you've done. Here's the problem. You don't understand what he did. That's, That's right. the problem. Yeah. Listen, if the resurrection is true, that means that guilt does not have the final word. Yes, you may have done some things that deserve condemnation and that deserve guilt. You may have done some of those things. Yeah. But if the resurrection is true, it means that Jesus came to bear your condemnation in your place so that therefore there is now no, con no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that means that guilt does not have the final word. It doesn't have the final word in your life. Now listen to this, watch this, number two. It means addiction. If, if the resurrection is true, it means that addiction does not have the final word. Here's why, because if Jesus rose from the dead, what it means is that when he rose from the dead, he released a power into the world that could overcome the grave itself. And that means that no matter how bad sin has wrecked your life, no matter how bad sin has wrecked your body, no matter how many relationships your addiction has destroyed, what that means is that when you call on the name of Jesus, he can release a power into your life that can restore everything that sin has broken. And it means that how addiction does not have the final word in your life. Man, number three, if the resurrection is true, that means that pain, pain does not have the final word in your life. Yes, we live in, I've heard somebody say it like this, we live in a veil of tears. And yes, we live in a world where we will eventually watch everything good in this world fall apart. Yes, that's true. And for some of you, this has been the year that has been marked by pain. For some of you, this is the year your family fell apart. Right now, what you're feeling, even as you are quarantined in your house, is you are feeling the isolation of the pain of your family being broken apart by broken relationships. For some of you, this may have been the year where you have been all year, week in and week out, holding the hand of somebody that you deeply love who's being taken away from you by Alzheimer's. And even though their, their body is present, their spirit is already absent. You, this may have been this year. All over the world right now, there are many people who you may even know somebody who is on a respirator because of the global pandemic we're experiencing right now. And they're fighting for their life and they're experiencing pain of disease. And God forbid, this may have been the year that in your family and in your life, you experienced the death of somebody you deeply love, maybe even a child. Maybe this was the year you lost a child. And this Easter, there's an Easter basket that's empty. That shouldn't be empty. And right now you're coming up on this Easter and all you can think about is that's too much pain. It's too much pain for me to bear. Well, listen, if the resurrection is true, it means that Jesus will take us to a place where we are gonna have resurrected bodies. We will be reunited with all of our loved ones and he will wipe away every tear from every eye and he will take away every pain. So that means that pain does not have the final word in our life. Listen, and if that's true, then what that means is that despair 
Despair does not have the final word in your life. Listen, because as long as Jesus is alive, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. I've got a friend who says it like this. If you're not dead, he's not done. If you're not dead, he's not done. And that means that whenever you feel like you are in the darkest of nights, it means that Jesus has the power to bring the dawn of new life into your life right now. Listen, if your hope is anchored in Jesus, your life's worst case scenario, if your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case scenario in your life is resurrection and eternal life in him and that one day he will heal every sickness every disease and you will dwell with him for eternity and what that means is that despair does not have the final word if the resurrection is true and what that brings us to is the fact the fact the resurrection brings us to the fact that death death itself does not have the last word because one day he is going to bring our bodies out of the grave exactly like his in fact you guys may remember in the bible the bible says this it says that jesus resurrection was the first fruits of all creation when it says that it was the first fruits of all creation what it was saying is that jesus resurrection he wasn't resurrect jesus wasn't resurrected only it was saying that jesus was resurrected first He was the one that was resurrected first and that resurrection is something that's gonna happen to every single person who is in him. So death doesn't have the last word because someday he's gonna bring my body, your body, our bodies out of the grave and we will be reunited with him for eternity. And then in that moment, our real lives, our true lives, the life that we were always designed to actually live, it will begin in that moment. And that means that death does not have the final word. Listen, man, about two years ago, about two years ago, uh, a spiritual hero of mine passed away. A guy named, you guys know, Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed away about two years ago and I grew up listening to his messages uh, all the time. And, and so when he died, it really shook me. But whenever he died a, a couple of years ago, as soon as he died, I remembered a snippet of a newspaper article that he had written years earlier before he died. And, and this is what he said. Billy Graham wrote, one day you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it? Because in that moment, I will be more alive than ever. I will have just changed addresses. And if the resurrection is true, guys, that's what that means. It means that death does not have the final word because Jesus was raised from the grave and now that power is available for anybody who calls on his name. Now listen, here's my question. Here's my question. Every single person who is watching me right now, this year is reminding us that it's, this year, if it's giving us any gift, it's giving us the gift of, remind, of being reminded of this truth. Every single person everywhere is one day gonna die. Someday, you and me, we're gonna die. That's inevitable. And let me say it to you like this. Only a fool, only a fool goes through life unprepared for what's inevitable. So here's my question. Are you prepared to leap into the void of eternity? Here's what we know is that Romans 4 says this. It says that, that you can never do enough good things to work your way up that chart I started with. You can never achieve your way up to 100. In fact, what the Bible teaches this is that, that you can never achieve salvation and being made right with God. That's a gift that can only be received. It has to be received by faith. So here's my question. Like, have you taken that step? <laughs> I'm not asking if your family took that step. I'm not asking if your parents or grandparents took that step. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm asking if you, have you personally taken the step of making Jesus Christ your savior and calling out to him by faith and making that gift yours? Now, here's, here's what I want. If, if that's you, and maybe you need to take that step, maybe even for the first time today, Would you just pray this prayer with me in living rooms and kitchens and patios and sunrooms all across our country? Would you right now bow your heads and close your eyes 
And would you just pray this prayer with me out loud? Pray this prayer from a sincere heart out loud to God. Just pray right now. Father, I know that I've sinned. And I've put other things first in my life besides you. Pray, I believe Jesus was crucified for my sins. And I believe that he was raised from the dead to give me new life. From this day forward, pray this from a sincere heart, from this day forward, as best as I know how, I will put you first. Thank you for adopting me as a son or a daughter. I receive that gift as a free gift, not based on anything that I've done. And Lake Point family everywhere, can you join in with me with celebrating with all the people who just prayed that prayer? Let's do that right now. In the comment section, wherever you are, likes, hearts, comments, exclamation points, let's celebrate that everywhere, man. Man, um, I do wanna say this, and this is very important. In the Bible, what the Bible teaches is that that prayer only saves you and makes you right with God if it's prayed from a sincere heart. And what the Bible teaches is that everyone who prays that from a sincere heart, there's a step, there's an action step that God says you will take to show that you prayed that from a sincere heart. And it's the action step of choosing to be baptized in water. Now, here's what's gonna happen. As soon as all this is over, and as soon as we can all join together again as a church family, we're gonna have the yeah. biggest baptism yeah. service you've ever seen. We're gonna do that, it's gonna be amazing. We're gonna, I'm, I'm praying that hundreds of people are gonna be baptized. And so here's my request. If you have never taken the step to be baptized subsequent to, after you've given your life to Christ in genuine faith, and or if maybe you cross that line of faith for the first time today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word LIFE to the number 20411. And we're gonna get with you and help you learn how you can be a part of us celebrating your salvation in baptism together in a baptism service. So if you'll do that right now as a display of the genuineness of your faith, crying out to God for salvation, text the word LIFE to the number 20411. And we wanna be with you to celebrate that day together when we all come back together. We're gonna do that. That's right, man. All right, well, Lake Point family and all, everybody joining in with us everywhere, will you pray with me right now and let's thank God for what he did today. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the free gift of salvation. Thank you for what you did that changes how we live and changes our future. We are so grateful. Thank you for being raised from the dead. We look forward to the day when we are raised with you and we live with you together in eternity. Father, we are eager for the day when there will be no more disease, no more death, no more crying, no more tears anymore for the former things have passed away and we will dwell with you forever. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. What a great message today. Again, if you prayed to receive Christ into your heart today, let us know that so you can be a part of that great baptism celebration. Just text the word LIFE to 20411. Now I want you to meet one of our church members, Kelly Pruitt, who's the principal at Terry Middle School in Mesquite.
last year around this time. It was the, the Saturday after spring break. I went to um, have a mammogram. When I went back, they did a biopsy, and, and they were very, very concerned. And, and I had stage 3 breast cancer. Didn't ever think that that was going to happen to me, um, but it did. We're all put in situations. Sometimes they're devastating, but the blessings that come out of that, the people who pray for me, the people who did things for me. I had people bring me food, buy me gift cards, and if they would have called me and said, hey, do you need some? I would have said, no, I'm fine. I don't need anything, but they just did it. When God puts something in front of us, we're called to, to act, to move. That's called love in action. That's what we're, that's, that's being Jesus, you know. We um, do an angel tree at our school, and it's for our teachers. To, it's our kids that we know have the greatest needs. Our counselors give the kids each a sheet that says, you know, name two or three things that you really want for Christmas. And um, several of the kids ask for food. When we hear people say that they leave on Friday and they may not um, eat again until they come back, I realized how true that really was. But now with COVID-19 and this crisis, we realized how much more amplified that would be. It's not just the weekend. Sometimes they can make it the weekend. They're used to that, but they can't make it weeks at a time. So it's important that we rally together and make sure that these kids get fed. I'm super proud to be a part of this church and the fact that we are um, feeding 2,000 families right now every single week. 500 of those boxes are going to the communities that, that feed my kids. I think having hardships connected me to my kids because what I realized is we're all going through storms. And some of these parents, I think even more the parents, you know, we, of course, we're going to take care of our kids. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. But I think what it made me do is see parents in a different way and that we're all going through different things at different times in our life. There have been times when I've been on the mountaintops and there's been times I've been in the valley. And some of these parents, they're in a valley right now. That doesn't mean they're always going to be there. But the support that you can give the families and the grace that you can show them. And it's our job as as believers to get up under them and stand in the gap until they get to a place where they can do it for themselves. But during this time, they're going to remember. They're going to remember who stepped in. They're going to look at that paper and they say, Lake Point Church, Jesus fed my children. And we might not see that to fruition, but that's the seed that's planted that someone else may water someday. So I think that's important that we be the church. We be Jesus for these kids. People of Lake Point, we're so proud of you as you continue to drop off food items every Sunday from 2 to 5 at any one of our campuses. It allows us to continue to be generous to those children and to the elderly in our community. You can also take that opportunity to drop off your offering envelope when you're dropping off those foodstuffs. Or you can go online and go to lakepoint.org give and give online or better still, automate your giving so that we can step boldly into the opportunities that God's providing for us during this season. Now join me in prayer at this time before we sing our last song together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us and the difference that it's making in us, but we also thank you, dear Father, for doing a work through us. Help us to be generous to others even as you have been generous to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was a moment when the lights went out And death had claimed his victory A king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history They're on a cross they made for sinners 
nurse's blood its own With final breath and it was finished But not the ends we could have known Before the earth began to shake In the veil was torn Was sad Sacrifice was made as the heavens roared. In all hell, King Jesus, in all hell, the Lord of heaven entered. In all hell, King Jesus, in all.
family is so good to celebrate Easter with you today. Just want to remind you uh, to join us again right here, wherever you're joining us for Church Online, same place this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Central Time for a Facebook Live broadcast uh, with me and my wife, Jana. We will see you then. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.